Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. Let me pray again, and then we will we will dive in. And uh, we are, gosh, we're 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 wrapping up Acts chapter five. I feel like you know 20, 2022, 2023, We're gonna we're gonna be done with this Acts thing, okay? Uh, but let's pray, Father. We come before you. We thank you for your word, uh, Jesus. We we just confess that. Uh, we can come into this place and and we can just flat out miss it and and we don't God we don't want to do that this morning we want to come Jesus we want to experience your your presence we want to experience your nearness we want to experience the life and salvation that you came to bring and so uh, Jesus open us up spirit of God move uh, in this place God uh, we're we're all we we come into this place with hearts and minds all over the place. Uh, and and we all have a full a full plate of life uh, and and stuff and trials that we're walking through, um, but God, I, I pray that you would break through uh, just kind of the noise of our lives this morning and speak to us. Uh, and our confession is Jesus, we need you. And so, uh, just echo Cedric's prayer, Lord, get get me out of the way. Um, we know that as we open up your your word, that it's not it's not gonna uh, it will not return void. And so, uh, God, uh, use this time today for your glory. Jesus, be glorified and draw hearts to you. Pray this in your name, Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter five, we're gonna pick it up in in verse thirty three. Uh, it is it is not by accident that that God has surrounded me uh, with with Kevin Caffey and Matt Prine as elders of RCB. Amen. <laughs> um, it is not it is not by accident that God has surrounded me with these brothers. I uh, so so uh, Caffey Kevin runs his his own construction company. Caffey uh, uh, and Sons Construction. Uh, Prine works as a as a missionary mobilizer for World Venture. He also helps run his uh, his family farm, the Iron Hill Organics. He's also uh, building his own house from the ground up. Like these dudes look at plywood and two by fours and concrete, and they see possibility. And I look at that stuff, and and I like I think. I need to call Prine <laughs> or Kathy. <laughs> I'm getting there. I, 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 now have a, I now have a yellow belt in handyman. Um, not, not having a, a handyman as a father, I, uh, I, I didn't exactly enter into adulthood fully prepared for, for the, the projects and the, the renovations, the repairs uh, that I would experience. In, in, in fact, over, uh, over the years, I have slowly collected 
tools uh, as as projects have have popped up. But but early on, I don't think I, I like I don't think I had a clue um, what what tools I need. And in fact, early on, I think I was naive enough to like even going into marriage. Like I had a hammer and a wrench and like Phillips head and flathead. So I like I'm ready. Like whatever life brings, I think this is all I need. Um, but looking back, like I needed someone to to give me a little bit more of a heads up on the tools that that I I would need. Um, having the right tools is is important. Church family, as as we close out Acts five, I want to look at at a couple of must have tools that I, I believe that we can glean from this text, from our text. And and, and again, I want to remind you the context of what's going on. Acts 4, Acts 5, as, as we close out the chapter, the apostles, uh, they, they have been imprisoned. They have been persecuted. There is very real opposition to the gospel going on. And, and so as we get to verse 33, uh, there, there's, there's a couple of different things going on for, for, for the people of Israel and, and even for the, the religious leaders that were doing the persecuting. How how could they have known that the movement that they were witnessing was of God? How, how, how were they supposed to know that it was from God? And then for the apostles, how, how were they supposed to respond to the immense suffering that they were about to go through, that they were already going through, and really that, that they were just getting started um, with? And so hopefully... Hopefully we can connect the dots today. Uh, more importantly, hopefully we can connect our, our, our lives with Acts chapter 5. And, and one thing is, is evident. I want to bring it, I want to bring it to you. I want to bring it to us. Um, in, in our current uh, sort of climate and in and, and, and the midst of COVID crisis, um, entirely too many Christians uh, have a difficult or, or have a, a uh, they're having a difficult time w- with processing the events, processing what's going on because they have a deficient tool bag to handle the trials that they're going through. Are y'all with me? We have a deficient tool bag to handle the trials that we're going through. And, and, and I would just say, what, what about you? Like, how, how are you? How are you doing? Like, how, how are you? How are you really doing right now christian you you have you have god's word you scripture says that you have the spirit of god indwelling you uh, you have you have the community uh, of god at your disposal so so what are you what are you listening to what are you listening to right now? What, what, tool, what tools are you reaching for? Are, and are you utilizing the tools that God has given you to sort, to sort of navigate these, these highs and, and lows? And this morning, I, I want to share two must-have tools uh, for the trials of, of our lives. And so as we look at verse 33 uh, through, through 39... I want to read this, but the first the first tool that I think we need to have is we we must discern the measure of a movement. I'm going to unpack that for you, but we must discern the measure of a movement. Uh, I want you to look at your neighbor uh, and say, be discerning. OK, 
Okay, that was depressing. Yeah, we need to pep it up a little bit. Look at your other neighbor and say, be discerning. So much better. Look at verse 33. It says, it says this. When they had heard this, they were enraged. They wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drove away some of the people after him and he too perished. All who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able able to overthrow them. You may even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. We must be discerning. We must discern the measure of a movement. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, and, and you say, well, well what, what, did, what did they hear? You have to go back to verses 29 through 32. And they, they heard the gospel. Like the, the apostles were not being bashful about sharing the gospel. They heard the gospel. They, they, once again, they, they were hearing that Jesus had been resurrected. They were hearing that he had been elevated to the Father's right hand, which was tantamount to being uh, God and the Messiah of Israel and the fulfillment of these, of these Old Testament prophecies. And so, that, but, but far from embracing Jesus as Messiah, the text tells us that they were enraged. They were they were enraged. And it's interesting in the Greek, it's that that word for being enraged. It's an expression dealing with the heart. And it means to be sawn in two means to be sawn in two. And, and what's interesting about that is in Acts 237, when Peter was preaching, uh, it says that the people were cut to the heart. But but as they were cut to the heart over this call to repentance, their their response, they responded favorably to the gospel here. The Pharisees hearts are impacted, too. Are you all with me? The Pharisees hearts are impacted, too. But instead of repentance, their response was rage. Their response was rage. I've, I've talked. Listen, I've I've shared the gospel uh, and, and, and I have I have absolutely gotten shut down. Right? You ever you ever been there? Like I've shared the gospel and, and I've gotten shut down. I've I've talked with students, uh, even some of you in this room who who after coming to Christ, you, you tried to share your faith. You tried to share about your new walk with Jesus with a friend or even with a parent, with a with a family member. And, and, and you've you've been shunned. Right. Like you've been shunned by by that friend or, or by that mom or dad, which is, is 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 awful for. But you've been shunned for sharing Jesus. But very few of us can say that after sharing Jesus, like somebody like the person across from you was ready to kill you. Um, that's what the apostles were staring back at. And apparently at this point, 
Because again, they had been kind of cautious up to this point about how they had been handling the apostles. But caution goes out the window. And they're, they're so overcome with vitriol, they're, they're ready to take the apostles out. But then verse 34, enter Gamaliel. And this dude, he's like Yoda of the Jedi Council, okay? Gamaliel, Gamaliel comes in, and, and Gamaliel is a, is a Pharisee. So we've been dealing with the Sadducees, but the Pharisees, even though they were the, the, I'll give you a little bit of background, just like we did with the Sadducees, even though the Pharisees were the minority party of the Sanhedrin, um, they, they had far more influence than the Sadducees. Uh, these guys were looking forward to Israel's Messiah albeit a political one. They affirmed the resurrection. They affirmed, not the resurrection of Jesus, they, but they believed in resurrection. They believed in the spiritual realm and angels and in demons. And in contrast with the, the, the Sadducees, who were all about luxury and extorting money from people, the Pharisees saw themselves more as separatists. But, but they, they demonstrated by their self-righteousness by living the simple life. So they pulled away. They're like, we're going to live a little bit simpler. But it was still all about them, all about their self-righteousness. But Gamaliel was was respected. This dude, this dude was respected. He was distinguished. He was the leader of the school of Hillel, which was one of the top two sort of parties of the Pharisees. Um, and, And so we know later in Acts, Acts 22, I believe, that it was under Gamaliel that that Saul who would become Paul, was tutored and mentored and, and brought up. Um, and so this, this dude, uh, uh, Saul, was one of his star sort of disciples. And so he, he mentions two men. And he, ta- he talks about Theodos, and he talks about Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Little is known about Theodos, uh, but we know from history, from Josephus, that Judas of Galilee, he, led, he rose up and he led a revolt in A.D. 6 against Rome. Uh, it, did not go, it did not go well. Uh, but he led a, re- a revolt against Rome, and ultimately he emboldened this zealot movement in Israel. It was a, a, a group of a, a violent insurrectionists who were, who were bent on overthrowing Rome's power. But, but Gamaliel's point, here's the deal. Gamaliel's point is, is this. Both these movements, both, uh, under Theodos and under Judas, fizzled out once their, ruler, once their leaders were killed. And so he, he had this kind of wait and see approach. And what he does, he's essentially lumping the apostles in with these other guys, right? If you, if you read between the lines, he's, he's lumping the apostles in with these other movements and really kind of advocating for a non-response. And really his mindset, I believe, was, hey, like, let's, it, this isn't really worth our time. Uh, and and if, if, if it gets to a certain point, Rome will take care of it anyway. Rome will, 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 will squash this. And so what's crazy, in many ways, his words became prophetic. They, they became an indictment, really, uh, against the Pharisees. But there, so there's no, there's no indication from text, the text or from history that he was sympathetic to the apostles um, or, or even that he was close to conversion himself. In fact, history reveals that, that Gamaliel did not convert to, to Christianity. Um, so here's a question. Was it, was it good advice? 
Though at first glance, and, and, and I, like, I have to be honest, I poured over this text so many times this week. Though at first, it seem, at first glance, it seems like it's good advice, it's, it's solid, it's, it's logical. Upon closer examination, his advice breaks down because the measure of a movement is not always in the fall of its leader. Uh, and it's not always in the length of its tenure as an ideology or in a religion for man. Y'all with me this morning? So, so uh, look no further than, than the teachings of, of Hinduism or, or Buddhism. Uh, another example would be the teaching, uh, the the teachings of Islam. Though though Muslim faith soundly rejects Jesus as God, their religion is alive and well and making converts all over the globe. And so though his statement in verse 39 about the inability to thwart the things of God is on point, Gamaliel's advice is ultimately wrong. David Peterson says this, it's, it's wrong because he does not call for an examination of the truthfulness of the apostles' claims. These guys were supposed to be looking for the Messiah, but he doesn't even, they don't even closely examine the claims of the apostles. His advice, David Peterson says, is flawed, fatalistic and flawed because he does not take seriously the challenges presented by Peter. And, and so, church, many people have led movements. Many people have launched and led movements. Some of them uh, have even claimed to be God, right? They've, they've claimed to be God, but ultimately, ultimately, they, they failed to reflect the heart and the character of God as some flaw was exposed. Whether, whether the leader was, uh, whether it was sexual immorality or whether it was just like cruel tyranny or whether it was pride over desiring like, you know, this insatiable appetite for more power uh, or more stuff. In the case of Theodos and Judas, check this out. Both men, they called for revolution and reform without repentance or redemption. Sound familiar? In the case of Theodos and Judas, both men were calling for revolution and reform without repentance or redemption. But, but see, Jesus and Jesus was different. Amen. Jesus was different. Jesus came on the scene. C.S. Lewis says, hey, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Like, there's no in-between. There's no in-between. There's no, like, oh, he was a good man or a good teacher option, right? Like, you don't, you don't get to, like, accept that, but then reject that he was who he said he was. You, you, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And so, in John 4, Jesus, he tells the woman that, that he is the Samaritan woman, that he's the Messiah. In Matthew 16, Jesus affirms Peter's statement that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. In Mark 14, Jesus clearly tells the high priest who, who has his life in his hands, hey, I, like, yes, I am the Messiah. He affirms that he was the Messiah. In John 10, Jesus tells a group of Jews that he and the Father are one. Multiple times in the gospel, Jesus forgives sins. Only God had that prerogative. Only God had the authority to do that. And then in John 8, Jesus says that he, before Abraham was, he said, I am which was God's revealed name to Moses. 
And so what, what is, what's the application? What, what, is, what does all this mean for us? It means this. Ready? Jesus was and is the standard. The measure of a movement is whether it is Christ-centered or man-centered. Are you all with me this morning? The measure of a movement is, in this church, this absolutely has everything to do with what's going on around us, just like it did then. The measure of a movement is whether it is Christ-centered or, or man-centered. Like we, we need discernment right now. We need to discern what, what are movements of God, what, what, is, uh, what is and what isn't of God. Uh, we, were, uh, we were talking Wednesday night with our twins. It's crazy. Uh, our twins are now in middle school. They are, they are in sixth grade, and they came home, and Wednesday, uh, uh, Wednesday night, they, they were talking about just the, the things that, and they go to a great school. But they're talking about the things that they're some of the things that they're seeing and hearing at school, uh, and and at, at at eleven, almost twelve years old, there's more coming at them, right? There's more, there's more temptation, there's more exposure to the world, and we talk like we we even told we can't we can't shield them forever, right? We can't shield them forever, but we're encouraged because we know that the, the tools that they have in their spiritual tool belt for, for processing and making the right decisions, they, they have these tools for discerning what is and what isn't of God. My, my fear is that the church is lacking. Listen, we're lacking in discernment about what is of God and what is of not and what isn't. Amen. Like, like we are, we we are just straight up lacking discernment. You look around, man. It's in our politics. It's it's in our ideology. It's in our worldview. It's in some of these these movements, both big and small. So many movements, y'all. They're rooted in man. They're rooted in man's righteousness. They're rooted in man's version of justice. They're rooted in man's goodness. But Scripture reveals that, that these movements will ultimately fail because man is not the solution. Jesus Christ is. So the measure of a movement is, is whether it's Christ-centered or man-centered. Fun fact. Jesus within the 12 apostles had a Roman sympathizer and a former member of the Zealot movement. Um, like imagine, imagine like dinner, you know, like. But once they met Jesus, their their political ideology came. It, it really came in a, in a distant second to following King Jesus. Amen. Because they recognized that that. Um, the broken promises and, and, and systems of man fall short. Church, right now, listen, if, if, we don't, if we don't wake up, if we don't wake up and start discerning the measure of so many movements that are going on around us, we, like we are headed for a world of trouble. I keep saying this, but I'll say it again. Like we, are, we are settling for Christless solutions for problems that only Jesus can solve. Amen? We're settling for Christless solutions. And, and, and listen, the, let me say this. Yes, the heart absolutely, 
has to impact homes and cities and cultures and nations and systems. Absolutely. There needs to, there, there must be this gospel ripple effect of, uh, but, but here, let me, let me be clear. It starts with the heart. Amen. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Jeremiah says, who can understand it? See, we, we're repeatedly going back to the well of these man-centered movements for hope, ignoring that the heart of man is the problem. Praise God, Jesus came to deal with human hearts by making them new. Amen. By dealing with with our sin problem, by, by Im- imputing his righteousness to us, by giving us real hope and real purpose and real significance. But he's the standard. And so we got to discern, listen, what the measure of a movement is. Is it centered in Christ? Is it centered on Christ? Or is, is it centered in man? Second tool. As we look at verse 40 through 42, we must be devoted to a theology of suffering. We must be devoted to a theology of suffering. I want you to look at your neighbor. And I know we're talking about suffering, so it's hard to like, you know, talk peppy. Okay, but I want you to say, be devoted. Look at your other neighbor and say, be devoted. Verse 40 through 42 says this. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, the apostles did, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. See, the end of verse 39 sounds promising and clearly like God, God raised up Gamaliel uh, as his instrument of protection for the, for the apostles. However, the, the sort of humiliated and, and embarrassed religious leaders, uh, they weren't going to let them off that easy. So they beat them. See, there's two words devoted to this in the text, right? Like, but don't gloss over. They beat them. Most commentators believe that right here, the apostles were flogged. And if you don't understand flogging, like a Roman, like, like flogging in, in those times, uh, they, they, there's, a, there's many commentators that, that believe that they were flogged with the cat of nine tails, that they were whipped up to 39 times as these glass and metal shards ripped the skin from the bone on their backs and their shoulders. And once again, they're, they're told, don't, don't speak in the name of Jesus. But look at their response. Look at verses 40 and 41. The text tells us that they rejoiced. What? <laughs> this is all, you know, they rejoiced. Are you kidding me? And they said they, they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Daryl Bach says, in a strongly shame-honor-oriented society, to be dishonored normally would be considered shameful. So the apostles' phrase, you know, it, is, it is an oxymoron, a dishonor that is a cause for joy. Like, the, the leaders beat them to it. These religious leaders beat them to a pulp to, to shame them. 
And it has the exact opposite effect. They're like, this is great. Wow. Church, it was Jesus who said at the very beginning of his ministry. In Matthew 5, 10 and 11, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. See, Jesus, when we, when we rolled through the Sermon on the Mount years ago, we talked about this. Jesus employs something here called Hebrew parallelism. He makes two statements and, and the, 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 the listener or the reader in our case, has got to make the two the, the connection that the two statements are actually the same, that they're synonymous. So they're meant to be read and understood as one. So, so check it out. In Matthew 5.10, if you want to keep your place in Acts and go there, blessing is, in Matthew 5.10, is poured out on those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus, right? But then in verse 11, blessing is poured out on those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus. So 10, blessing for those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. 11, blessing for those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Listen, understand what Jesus is saying. Nothing short of this. I am righteousness. I am righteousness. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And then Paul in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also should suffer for His sake. See, the apostles were devoted to a theology of suffering. They were devoted to a theology of suffering because they, they understood that Jesus was the source of their righteousness. They understood that Jesus was the source of their salvation, that Jesus was the source of their hope. And any time throughout history you've seen the gospel reaching the nations, it's because the church had a healthy theology of suffering. I read this story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn this week, and it says that once he recounted one one of his experiences in the uh, in the infam infamous Gulag uh, Archipelago. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I think I am. <laughs> but one night in prison in Siberia, he had this conversation with a guy named Boris Kornfield, a, a Jewish doctor. And he sat up all night with, with Solzhenitsyn and they told, he told him his story of his conversion of Christ. And, and, he, and he shared how he came to know Jesus and walk with him. And Solzhenitsyn said that same night, Cornfield was club, clubbed to death. Solzhenitsyn said that Cornfield's last words were, Bless you, prison, for having been my life. Church, the, the apostles understood that suffering connected them with the suffering of Christ. Suffering also tethered them to, to resurrection power and promise. 
And it also was tied, they understood that it was tied to the spread of the gospel. Their, their hope was in a kingdom that only Jesus could usher in. And seeing, seeing Jesus raised, seeing Jesus raised from the dead, they believed that they would be raised too. That's why they talked about the resurrection a lot. Everywhere they went, they were talking about the resurrection. And see, the funny thing is, we, and rightly so, but we, we talk a lot about the cross in the American church because we like our sins forgiven, but we don't talk much about the resurrection because we're more interested in making this world our home instead of looking forward to being resurrected into the kingdom of Christ. We talk a lot about the cross, but we don't really talk about the resurrection and and. and Here's the application. Here's what that means. Here's what that means for us. For many, the the trials of the last several months have have exposed um, an ideology rooted in humanism. Straight up. It's exposed in the church a a lack of any sort of biblical worldview. And and I'm saying not cherry-picking your favorite verse from an Old Testament prophet or, or this gospel. I'm talking about a holistic biblical worldview. We do not suffer well because we are, a, we are following a Jesus of our own making. And we, so, so we don't even know what to do with suffering uh, or, or even death because our hope is not, is not in the resurrection. And, and listen, I, I like... I'm not advocating fatalism, and, and I'm, not, I'm not being flippant about death, church family. I, like, I wish, I wish, like, like Paul, like when Paul is like, man, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to die, and I'm ready to be with Jesus right now. Let's go. You know, I know it'd be better for y'all, but like, man, Lord, take me right now. I like, I, I, I wish, here's the deal, I wish I could say that fully. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to die. Like, I don't, I don't. I don't want to die. I believe that the Lord has more for me here. Like I, I, I want to, I want to live. I want to see my kids' kids. I want to see revival in the church. I want to see a movement of God. But listen, like our tightest insulated bubbles will not deter death when it comes for us. So the question is, how will you live before you die? What will you live for? Christian, will you pour yourself out for others, even even if it requires suffering for the sake of Jesus? See, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul says, In Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christian, do you believe that a resurrected Jesus will one day resurrect you if you do your your theology what you believe about God will absolutely allow for discomfort and suffering and even death because death doesn't have the final word Jesus does and I'll 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 close I'll close with this this morning as we Back in June, the end of June, our, our fam, we, we, we made a trip to, uh, we, we packed up the whole squad. We drove to Montana. Brilliant idea. That was a lot of fun. 25-hour trip. And, and we, we, we got away for a week or two, and 
But on the drive back, we, we made a pit stop, and, and we stopped in Colorado Springs at, at, at the Garden of the Gods. And the boys, the, the, the boys got to climb up this little sort of rock enclosure. Uh, no, no gear, no gear needed because it was like 10 or 15 feet, even though I was still stressed out. Um, but as we walked the path there at Garden of the Gods, the, we got to the boys, we got to see some pros, right? And the pros had all the gear and, and, and they, they had all the, the tools to, to take on a rock face that extended straight upward for hundreds of feet. And here's the thing, if, if you're going to face the mountain, you better have the right tools. <laughs> and I'll be honest, as we made the trip, as, as we made the trek back to Texas, like there was, there, and, I, and I shared this with several people, there was part of me that just kind of wanted to stay. <laughs> like, I, just, I just wanted to stay back in the mountains. Like, I just, I just wanted to stay in Montana. Like, just give me the cabin up in the mountains. Because as I looked online, like, we're getting ready to come home, and I look online, and I look on social media, and all I see is Christians who are panicking and, and arguing and dividing into their camps and spouting off, you know, their, their inciting their go-to news source or their article or their book or their person. And it's, it's like we've lost sight, church, that the movement of God through Jesus has never stopped. The movement of Jesus hasn't stopped. The question is, Christian, are, are you too distracted to see where God is at work in all of this? Are you willing to sort through all the noise with a biblical filter and in a biblical worldview to stay Christ-centered and in a time where everyone is clinging to their positions and their opinions? Are you willing to lay down your life so that others might know Jesus? Is it even on your radar? Is it even on your radar that God might call you to suffer like your Savior suffered for you? God help us. Church, we, we need to look to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus for sinners and ask Man, are we, are we using the right spiritual tools? The good news is this. In Christ, we have everything that we need. Amen? In Christ, we have everything that we need. Y'all pray with me this morning.